Well, welcome into another edition of Ralphie Report Radio. And I have some very exciting news for all of our listeners. The Ralphie Report Radio Podcast Network is growing, and we'll have some new content as well to share with you in the coming weeks. I don't want to reveal too much, but uh, just be sure to stay tuned for more news going forward. On that note, as part of this update to the podcast network, this show will now be known as The Runaround Going Forward. And kind of my goal here is to be able to talk about all things CU Sports, um, the biggest news of that week. And, you know, with that, I'm going to talk a lot about Evan Worthington's performance at the NFL Combine um, that went on yesterday. I want to talk about what he needs to do at the Pro Day to kind of improve his draft stock. Speaking of the Pro Day, that is taking place tomorrow. We'll have full coverage of it on ralphiereport.com. There's a number of different buffs who are participating, including linebacker Drew Lewis, running back Trayvon McMillan, and wide receiver Juwan Winfrey. I want to talk about all of those guys. Obviously, none of them were invited to the Combine, so kind of want to explore what's at stake for them um, tomorrow and you know who has the most upside. Look at all of that as well. Men's basketball team, just when you get ready to rule them out, they come back and Surprised everyone. They had a big win <clears throat> over Utah last week. Uh, Evan Batty, one of the big parts of that win, 15 points, four boards. Uh, we're going to hear from Deshaun Schwartz later in the show on what he thinks has changed with Evan Batty. And obviously, we want to talk about the Pac 12 tournament with it just a week away now. Wow, I can't believe how quickly. Um, this season flew by. All of that and more on this edition of the Ralphie Runaround. But starting off, I know football is on everybody's mind. I know it's I know it's only March, but um, NFL draft, the combine. It's off season has just kind of become an off a season of its own. To be completely honest with you, and Evan Worthington was obviously the lone buff invited to the combine, so. All eyes in Boulder were on him, and he said going in that he wanted to run a 4-3-9. He wanted to break the 4-4 mark and, you know, hopefully with a good performance, elevate his draft stock, maybe slide in as a day three pick instead of, you know, getting an undrafted opportunity somewhere. But I have to say that he kind of underwhelmed all expectations. He ran a 4.63, which is... Very slow for a defensive back. And he also only jumped a 33.5 inch vertical, which for someone who is 6'3 in height is also very unimpressive. And, you know, Evan just did not do a whole lot to help himself out from a numbers standpoint. I'll, I'll, I'll start off with that because if anyone has been following along on social media and seen pictures of him, he's bulked up. He's probably about 5 to 10 pounds heavier, and the good news is that's all muscle mass, and you know, heading, heading in, I think that was something that was important for him to show teams, just the sheer fact that he could bulk up and get bigger you know, to match up with NFL wide receivers and make tackles, because I think that's, that was really an area where he struggled. So the good news is he was able to show that he was a little bit heavier, and you know, maybe that contributed to his inability to run faster and jump higher. He's still getting used to that thicker weight, which 
obviously, as I said, is probably going to benefit him a whole lot going forward. But the numbers, you know, for an earlier round guy, like, for example, Byron Murphy from Washington, who I think is arguably the best defensive back in the draft, um, he was... He had bulked up, and he ran a little bit slower than expected, but teams wanted to see that because he had a smaller frame to begin with. He's only 5'11", but Evan Worthington is 6'3", so, you know, he, he has he has good height, and, you know, obviously bulking up is good, but the fact that he's kind of an under-the-radar guy and needed to wow scouts as opposed to show them specific traits explicitly that they were looking for, I think is bad. Obviously, he's going to have a shot at redeeming himself tomorrow, with a good 40 time, um, it's it's going to be hard to overshadow, to be completely honest, the poor combine showing. I think that's going to be something that lingers in scouts' minds. But, you know, it, it, at least this is another opportunity for him to make an impression on people. And, you know, I, th- I think that's huge for him simply because he can, you know, he can leave this. If he has a good showing, he can leave that as the last thing in scouts' minds before they ultimately go out and make a decision about whether they want to, you know, throw out a sixth or a seventh round pick on him. So I'm looking for him to improve by one tenth of a second. I, I think he needs to run around a four five, maybe not a four four because you know that's that's difficult. But if he can run a four five, I think that'll that'll help him out a whole lot, and you know maybe increase that vertical by an inch or two, and you know that that'll that'll help him out. But uh, as it stands right now, I cannot envision him getting drafted simply because he did struggle at the combine. Maybe some scouts like the bulk on him. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to get some insight from those that I know in the scouting community before I really make a judgment on that. But looking at the other guys in the pro day, I know Worthington is, you know, trying to make one more impression and, you know, hopefully it's a good one. But the other guys uh, Drew Lewis, Trayvon McMillan, Juwan Winfrey, they're, they're the real ones who highlight the bowl. Uh, obviously, Lewis earned an invite to the Shrine game, McMillan and Winfrey to the NFL PA game. So, you know, they're, they're all prospects. I'll say that much, but the fact that none of them got an invite to the Combine shows that as it stands right now, they likely will not be drafted. Out of that group, who has the most on the line? I'm going to say Drew Lewis because he he's kind of a he really made a good impression on scouts in the combine or in the shrine game rather and he he really represents the new age of linebackers where you know he's a three down back can do a little bit of everything in pass coverage has really good closing speed uh very good form tackler as well so I I think he's he has the most on the line and he can help himself out a whole lot um as I'm sure some of you guys know, Louis Riddick, the uh, esteemed NFL uh, draft analyst, is his uncle. So that helps him out a little bit. Uh, I'm sure it's you know he's been a good soundboard for him throughout the draft process. Obviously, knowing what scouts are looking for, but yeah, I think he has the most on the line in terms of the most potential upside. I really think Trayvon McMillan uh, fits the bill. There, we're talking. Pro day at Colorado, um, who has the most upside? Then later on in the show, we'll move on to men's basketball. I know that's something you guys want to hear a lot about. With your Colorado Buffaloes having an outstanding, maybe season-saving, well, not season-saving, but at least in terms of getting into the top four, crucial win 
against Utah. But I think that McMillan has the most potential upside simply because of his stature and his skill set. He ran for over 1,000 yards last year and probably would have run for a whole lot more if he was running behind a better offensive line. But just taking a look at his tape, I mean, he he is the prototypical power back in today's NFL. Just like Drew Lewis represents the paradigm shift at linebacker, McMillan represents it at running back. Obviously, he's not as much of a pass-catching type back, but, you know, he's a really good bell cow type player. And, you know, in this day and age, teams, every every team pretty much could use a bell cow. Just watching him, any anytime someone tries to tackle him, he's able to shed through a couple would-be tacklers, get a couple more yards. Excellent. Uh, he was third in the Pac-12 in broken tackles. So, um, yeah, I think I think he could potentially, if he's able to run a quick 40 and you know, show out well in the interview portion of the uh, event with scouts. I think he potentially could move up a whole lot. Juwan Winfrey and him are both interesting players in the sense that they both transferred from another university. Trayvon spent the first three years of his career, obviously, at Virginia Tech. And Winfrey was at Maryland. So both of these guys transferred. Both of them showed really good things at their first university. McMillan kind of was stuck in a bad situation where there was a coaching staff change. He kind of fell out of favor um, on and off the field. Winfrey had some character issues at Maryland before transferring to Coffeyville, And he had brimming upside coming to CU, but unfortunately just never matriculated. Injuries kind of hampered him down a little bit. He was stuck behind LaVisca Chanel and Katie Nixon, obviously, later this year. But I still think he's another really intriguing player. He's tall, um, really good route runner, really good high-pointing ability. So I think he brings a lot to the table. And, you know, he has, an, he has a real opportunity to improve his draft stock as well. I think McMillan probably has the most upside. And, you know, he one thing working in his favor is that we've seen undrafted and later round running backs have success immediately in the NFL. It's a position where there's a much lower learning curve typically than, say, quarterback or defensive back or any of the other positions. Running backs are kind of able to just come in and be successful, as we saw with the aforementioned Philip Lindsay last year. So I'm looking for McMillan to have a good uh, career in the NFL, and if he's able to show out tomorrow, maybe he can sneak his way into a late-round pick as well. Honestly, I'm interested to see how all four guys perform tomorrow. And, you know, I think last year um, some of the buffs that we saw struggled a little bit and were never really able to uh, elevate their stock. Obviously, Philip Lindsay had an outstanding performance, but he was overlooked throughout the entire process. Bryce Bobo, Shea Fields, Devin Ross had average days at best. And as a late-round pick, it's just kind of hard to – really leave a lasting impact in the mind of scouts when you have an average day. I want, I want to see one of those four guys kind of wow us and uh, show why they're worth so much. But I know we want to watch guys run around in their underwear and you know think about football season because it is a football state and it is a football school, to be quite frank. But the basketball team still has a couple more weeks left to play hopefully more fingers crossed obviously for fans but 
they they they're they're heading up in the right direction, I think, right now. With their win over Utah, they moved from ninth place in the Pac-12 all the way up to six. And just looking at the Pac-12 standing, it is absolutely crazy. Only two games separate the third place team, Oregon State, and the tenth place team, Stanford. I mean, there there's it's just so interchangeable from three to ten. Obviously, Washington and Arizona State are kind of uh, cut above everyone right now. Washington had a devastating loss to the last place Cal Bears, but you know that type of thing happens at this time of year, and I wouldn't buy too much into it. I think Mike Hopkins will have them ready to play once we reach Vegas next week. But the big that was a huge win over Utah coming into the matchup. Utah sat in fourth place, so they were slated for a first round buy and. Colorado wasn't able to pull out a victory. I think their chances of sneaking into the top four were almost non-existent. I mean, they took a big hit when they lost to Washington State last week. I'll, I'll say that much, but, uh, you know, it's it, it would have been much harder if they weren't able to pull out a win against Utah. That, that, was, a, that was really a well-played team effort. McKinley Wright, only 10 points, a couple turno- costly turnovers. Really didn't do a whole lot. I mean, he had a good defensive night, but he didn't have the typical offensive night that a lot of people would have thought. And Tyler Bay, the main the anchor of this team right now, I think, had another outstanding game. 17 points, 10 boards, his sixth double-double in eight games. Absolutely outstanding. Um, I loved watching that guy and how he's helped this team out the past few games. And he's really done it. On both ends of the floor, offensively, he's been really aggressive in the paint. Defensively, he's been physical. We saw it with both Jace Johnson and Timmy Allen. He was not giving up any ground. And the reason Colorado won this game, in my opinion, is because they protected the basketball. A, one, they they didn't turn it over, except for a couple times. And B, they played excellent defense. Utah is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the entire conference, and Colorado did not give them an inch of space on the perimeter. Excellent closeouts. They really made them force, they really forced Utah into a bunch of shots late in the shot clock that they didn't want to shoot, and I think that was probably one of the most impressive things about that victory. Now, Evan Batty has probably been the most intriguing player on this team all season long. I mean, he's had really glimpses where he's been outstanding and other games he's been good but he's been in foul trouble and thus unavailable with head coach Tad Boyle against Washington we uh, saw him get into some foul trouble early and uh, he in place starting in place of Lucas Seward he had two fouls and I think it was the first six minutes and he spent pretty much the remainder of the first half sitting on the bench which you know, I understand you want the guy to be available late in the game, but Tad Boyle deployed a really interesting strategy when utilizing Batty against Utah. So Batty got the start once again, which a lot of people were surprised about, and just 90 seconds into the game, 88 to be exact, he picked up his first foul. Rather than letting him stay out there, he pulled him out of the game sat him down for a little bit, and he didn't pick up another foul the rest of the game, which I thought was very interesting and amazing. And after the game, Boyle said that he and uh, assistant coach Mike Roan had kind of talked about it and said, all right, if he gets a foul early, we're going to pull him out because we need him the rest of the way. And, 
you know, maybe he wasn't as aggressive on the defensive end of the floor. I think that's one thing we saw where, um, which helped him stay out of foul trouble. But he was absolutely outstanding. Um, maintained physicality, uh, even if he wasn't as aggressive. And Batty's teammates have really noticed, you know, a willingness to learn, maybe adapt his skill set on the fly right out of the gate. And, um, you know, it's it's been really interesting to watch his development. Obviously, he's a redshirt freshman, so he's he has some room to grow. But here's what Deshaun Schwartz had to say about Batty's approach after the game. He's been taking a lot of big steps in practice just as far as aggressiveness, leader, energy. That's just something he brings to the team that you really can't teach. So we really appreciate having that on the court at all times. He just knows what he needs to do. He's he's a good learner, um, good listener, good all that. If coach tells him he needs to do something, he's going to do it and do it well. So uh, after one foul, I know he's not going to make another mistake after that, after learning it so many times. Yeah, you, you heard Deshaun Schwartz there. He said that he's you know, been someone who's really stepped up on a number of different dimensions, which for a younger team, I think speaks volumes about his development. But in addition to that, his willingness to, you know, kind of adapt on the fly, hear the coaching staff out on a variety of situations, that that's what makes Evan Batty a special player. And that's kind of why I believe that he's going to be an integral component of this team probably the rest of the way. But Looking, looking at Deshaun Schwartz, because he's another guy who struggled um, at times. He's looked a little bit disfocused, if you will, and out of sync. But I, I really like what he brings to the table as well. He had, he had a pretty good game against Utah. He kind of played a bigger role um, than he typically does. Maybe it's because he saw McKinley Wright struggling on the offensive end, and it seems like whenever that type of thing happens, uh, he kind of steps up, answers the bell. In a sense, that's that's what's been so good uh, about Deshaun. But he had really a pretty a pretty good game. Um, Sixteen points, six boards, and an assist to add to it on the stat sheet. Great job crashing the boards on the defensive end of the floor. Um, one thing that I saw different than from Deshaun Schwartz is that he wasn't over-reliant on the three ball. I think in past games, he kind of was forcing up threes. He was getting good shots, but, you know, he was settling for threes instead of trying to get in the paint, drive to the basket, and, um, you know, kind of got his confidence hit a little bit um, with some missed shots. But here he was a little bit more aggressive, um, really good job pl- playing selfless, passing the ball off and trying to get better shots. And he hit a big three before halftime, even though he – only shot one for four from beyond the arc. He had a big three right before halftime to put Colorado up nine. And to be honest with you, I think that was the momentum swinging moment in the game because Utah just never was able to make it close. I mean, there was four lead changes within a minute, 53 seconds actually to be exact, the exact, excuse me, earlier in the game. And, you know, from that point forward, it was just one-sided all the way. Utah kind of went on runs for periods, but they were never able to really get within striking distance or one possession. It really was just not a close game at all, and I think Schwartz is a big reason why he picked up the slack on the offensive end of the floor. Utah shot atrocious from beyond the arc all night long. They shot 5 for 15, which is very uncharacteristic of them. Um, you, You don't really see that. 5 for 26, excuse me. I was looking at Colorado stats. 
five for 26 from beyond the three. You don't really see that from them, but Colorado did a good job contesting the shots. Cedric Bearfield obviously had some moments where he made shots where you're like, wow, how did he do that? He had 19 points, but took him 16 shots to do to get to that point. So I think Colorado will take that pretty much any any day of the week, any game. But I want to move on to the Pac-12 tournament because that's exciting. It's only a week away, and you know there's a lot of different outcomes that are playing out right now. Colorado currently sits at the sixth spot um, in the conference. They would play Oregon if um, the tournament ta- started today. And uh, Oregon's been a team that's caught fire recently. They had a big win over ASU in Eugene over the weekend. Actually just blew them out of the building. And they beat Arizona as well. That would be an interesting match. Obviously, the Buffs had their way with the Ducks last time they were in Boulder. But it's important to consider that uh, Oregon was coming off a tough road trip out to Utah. So they looked a little bit gassed. Um, They see you clearly didn't get their best shot. But, hey, anything goes once you get to March. And that's exciting. But I'm gonna lo- I'm gonna go through the remaining schedule for Colorado. They have three games, two games left. Excuse me, against UCLA and then USC. UCL USC is sitting eighth in the conference right now, and UCLA is fourth. So they need to beat UCLA, and they need to beat USC. They need to win out, and you uh, if they beat UCLA, I think business takes care of itself because then CU has beat them twice in the year. They own the tiebreaker if both. Um, squads finish with identical records in conference play. But Utah, the other team in front of Colorado sitting in fifth, also needs to lose one of their two remaining games against USC and UCLA, which are both played on the Utes' home floor in Salt Lake City at altitude. So right now Colorado is kind of on the outside looking in, but regardless, I still think they have a really good chance of at least moving up to the fifth seed. And when you get to play a team like Cal in the first game of the tournament who only has two conference wins, I don't want to undermine them. They have, they're coming off two really good games of their own, probably their best two of the season. But, you know, when you get to play a team like that in the first round, I think you are able to sleep a little bit easier, uh, you know, just go, going into that one because it's not as challenging of a game. And I think they're guaranteed to minimally make it into the second round. Um, if they get to play Cal in the first round. So that's kind of a nice little added bonus for all those fans out there watching. But, you know, Utah has to lose at least one of the two games, and Colorado has to win out. So they kind of control their destiny, and they just have to scoreboard watch with one team rather than two, which I I think is probably a big thing. And, you know, there's a ton of incentive for them to move up even more. Speaking of which, regardless of what happens in the Pac-12 tournament, and even if the Buffs are eliminated in the first round, to be completely honest with you, I think the win against Utah solidified at least a berth in the NIT, no matter what. Because they'll, they'll at least win 18 or 19 games and be above 500 as long as things go well the rest of the way, which obviously isn't guaranteed in the conference portion of their schedule, which is definitely good enough to find a way into the NIT tournament. But looking back at the logistical aspect of everything and kind of the rotation that Tad Boyle has been deploying the past couple of games, 
He's kind of mixed and matched a little bit. We've more or less seen a seven-man rotation with um, Seward and Dalen Koontz, the two guys coming off the bench. Starting five is Bay, Schwartz, Batty, Wright, and Gatling. So he's kind of used a seven-man rotation, which is actually really, really short. And Alexander Strat- Stratting has come off the bench and spot minutes. He had a really good three-point play um, against Utah. So he's been a nice piece at spontaneous moments, but he hasn't really been a consistent man in the rotation. Sometimes when Seward or Batty get in foul trouble, we'll see Boyle try to sneak him in there for five minutes or so just to give those guys a rest. But he's not really a big part of the rotation. But being that the Buffs are only using pretty much seven guys on a nightly basis, which is really very few considering most teams use about eight or nine or even ten as we've seen with the Washington Huskies to kind of, you know, give their main starters a break. I think Dalen Kuntz is going to have to be one of those guys who steps up. I mean, he's been good on offense off the bench for the most part. Didn't have a great game against Utah, but I'll look past that and try to find some consistency. And Lucas Seward is another guy whose production has trailed off. I'm going to challenge him and Kuntz to be big pieces coming off the bench. Not bench, not just guys who come off and, you know, score a couple points and hold the fort down until the starters come back in. I want to see them come off the bench and make an impact because that's really where the games are going to be won and lost. Well, not won and lost, but having a really good bench is a way to swing the momentum because you can keep teams off the on their heels. You can go on a little bit of a run with your bench. You can take advantage of the fact that the other team's starters are sitting out. So I want to see more out of Koontz and, uh, and Seward. I want to see them have big games and... Really, that's that that's going to be integral to the Buffs' success once we, once we reach Vegas. Anyway, I'm going to preview everything that's happening in Vegas, not just Colorado stuff, on the next edition of The Runaround here on Ralphie Report Radio. Two huge games uh, upcoming this week and this weekend, the first of which is Thursday against US, UCLA. And it's really a good week for Colorado sports with the Combine coming up. Uh, the pro day coming up. What am I talking about? The combine is done. The pro day coming up. The two final basketball games. We have all that and more. I could not be ex- more excited for everything that's about to be coming up. And uh, I will talk to you on the next edition of the runaround. <laughs>